So hi everybody, I'm, uh, my name is Stuart Ross and I'll be your presenter here for, we're doing a session uh, I've called Building uh, Connections and Discipleship Model for Your Church. And so, um, well I guess I should tell you a little bit about who I am. Okay, so uh, this is my third year in the Ohio Ministry Network. I've been with the Assemblies of God since, well, a long time. Um, first credential back, I think it was in 96. I've uh, been a discipleship pastor most of my time in ministry, a uh, number of churches in like Virginia, Chicago, Maryland, and now here in Ohio. I'm at Christian Life Center in Dayton. So if you've ever driven to I-70 to Indiana, you've gone right by it. Big church right there on the highway. Uh, I'm the discipleship team leader. I oversee kind of everything to do with adult ministry. So that includes connections and all the things that would connect people to the church. Uh, itself and then membership and everything involves discipleship as well small groups and classes and the whole gamut of that uh, also I had the privilege of serving as an assembly god missionary uh, for five years in europe in eastern europe so that's enough about me but just i've kind of been doing this for a while <clears throat> now <clears throat> excuse me that's either a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you look at it because the good side is i've been doing this for a long time the bad side is i have way too much stuff to say <laughs> so I did, my wife's a teacher, it's educationally unsound to give someone a handout of exactly all the things you're going to say and present, but I'm going to do it anyways, because that's the only way I know for sure you get the material. I don't trust myself at all, I've been doing it, I mean, 26 years you should know yourself, right? Okay. But I do want to get to the stuff that's towards the end, because that's like the meat, and the, a lot of stuff in the beginning, it's good, it's more of the kind of the big picture stuff, but I gave you the handout. So you can go home and read it, okay? So I'm gonna to touch each slide a little bit, but not read every word, is that okay? All right, if you have a question, like jot it down, and at the time, I'm, my phone's gonna go off at some point to tell me to stop talking and, and let, so we can do question and answers, okay? And again, that's kind of dramatic, but I know myself well enough to know if I don't do that, I'll just keep talking, okay? All right, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to talk uh, about something that's very precious to you, which is your church. And Father, we, we want to just be part of what you're doing, Lord, to, to connect people to your body of believers in our local area, Lord, the, part, the body of believers you've put us part of. And Father, but more importantly, we want to connect them to you. <laughs> so Father, just give us wisdom in this whole dynamic, especially in our changing culture, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, again, our workshop uh, is, oh, there it is right there, is... Uh, Today, when the average church attendance is attended, uh, diminished to two or three times a month, uh, church leaders must develop intentional steps. This has always been true, but even more so than ever, if we're going to connect people and move them to growing towards Christ. And so what we're going to try to do is identify some weak points. So I can't do that for you. I don't know your church context as well as you do. But as we go through something that strikes a, a thought in your heart, or you can't answer what you do at your church about that, then circle that, star that, and say, that's a potential weak point for us. I wonder what we're doing if we have a plan or a system on that, okay? Because I was trying to figure out, like, how do I anticipate all the different people in the room and all the different things that could be issues for them? So this is my attempt to try to do that, okay? So uh, this is what we're trying to do. So really, what if, one of the questions you could ask, I just went to a thing on coaching, and one of the questions, a coaching question is, what inspired this for you? Like, what inspired this workshop? So I thought I'd, I'd answer that question, and here it is on that slide. Today's culture is very consumer-driven, and so uh, that can lead us to an approach to be really intentional about attracting people to our churches, 
But unfortunately, that doesn't mean we're necessarily just as intentional in connecting them to the Lord and connecting to the church body. Does that make sense? Um, I've had the, the privilege of serving at some rather larger churches, and so this disease is an issue everywhere, okay? But I also, as a missionary, traveled to over 100 different churches of various sizes and shapes all over the country, Midwest, uh, some of the West, all over the East Coast. I got to tell you, this, it doesn't matter what size of church you have, you can have the same sickness, which is consumer-driven. And so we end up getting focusing on things that can be counted. Uh, even the situation where I'm at right now, uh, the church I'm at, we're really good at counting things that are easy to count. We're not so good at counting things that are hard to count, because they're hard to count. But it doesn't mean they don't count. So church growth, if our church is going to grow, I mean, church growth, I mean, some people think that's a, not a good term. We want the church to grow, right? It's a body. It should be growing and developing, right? So church growth is both quantity. Jesus said the fields are ripe for harvest, right? But the laborers are few. But it's also about quality. Go and make disciples. So we've got to figure out a way in this connections disciple thing. How, how are we going to pull these two things together? Because quantity has a quality all of its own, and quality has a quantity all of its own. So we need both, right? One's not better than the other. We need both, okay? So I put down in the next slide some myths for that we often tell ourselves. We say, well, we'd do a better job of connecting people if we had better facilities. Or we say, uh, or if we had a better location, uh, you know, or maybe well, that, that's a good idea, but that wouldn't work in our area, in our situation. Uh, we say, oh, if we had more money or more people, we could do more. We'll say, well, if we just, you know, we had more of the right kind of staff or volunteers, we could do more programs. If we had the right programs, that would grow our church. Okay, that's another thing we tell ourselves. Or we'll say, oh, you know what we need? We need more big events, and our church just isn't able to do that or do that very often. But if we had big events, that would get people to come in. Or we tell ourselves, well, all we, you know, if we just really prayed, that would fix everything. Okay, now I would say that all these things can have some truth to it. certainly the prayer part, <laughs> right? But the reality is sometimes we blame it on God. Why isn't, why isn't our church growing? Because we've prayed, but, you know, God's just not doing his part. When the reality is maybe we haven't been as intentional in preparing ourselves as we've been intentional in prayer. Now, having said that, that's not the problem of most churches in America. <laughs> it's the other way around, all right? We're not really as focused on prayer as we should be, so the Lord can, like, show us things about ourselves that are maybe co- uncomfortable truths. All right, so we think about this idea of our church growing or church growth. You can see this on the next slide. It's two things. Everything I'm going to talk about today is about these two things. It's about opening the front door and it's about closing the back door. So in the little church there in the diagram, there's a lot of people walking in. Yahoo, great. Oh, look at all these guests. But they're walking right out the back door. Okay. And uh, the original version of this presentation, I had some wonderful slides on something called natural church development. If you've ever heard of that, I really strongly recommend looking into it. You can find a lot of stuff just on the web about it. Uh, Christian Schwartz has sort of been the leader of this movement, used all around the world. Here's a book called Color Your World with Natural Church Development. They've got a ton of resources. They also have an assessment. It costs a few hundred bucks. Um, I think it's four or $500. So it's not something you can do very often, particularly in a smaller church. But if you ever want to learn the truth about your church, this is an assessment where you have 40 people in your church who are connected, take it, and they assess it, and it gives you a whole picture of how wide open is your front door, how good are you at that, and some detail pieces of that, but then how wide open is your back door? How sticky are you in connecting people in, in together? So that's sort of my natural church development. It's really worth looking into commercial, okay? But as you know, the slides aren't in here because I already had too many slides. All right. Um, so we think about this idea of opening the front door. Well, I mean, 
again, this is some preliminary stuff, and, but it's important because I want to get your heads and hearts to see the big picture. If you're trying to help your church grow, and you're, this is a piece you have a part of in some way, the ministry you're involved in your church, in opening the front door, closing the back door through discipleship, um, it can be really, uh, one of the things that happens is the thing we're involved in, we get really passionate about, and we th- tend to think that's the only thing, or the only important thing. And I'm, telling, I'm here to tell you, if you don't get the whole picture in your head and heart, you're going to miss some piece of this. If you're only focused on opening the front door and inviting people, or you're only focused on closing the back door, you have to see how the two work together. Otherwise, it will be somebody else in your church who's passionate about the other thing, and the two of you are going to clash. And if you're like both leaders in the church or both staff members in the church, that's bad, <laughs> okay? In order to get, if we're really going to accomplish all that God wants us to do, why would God send us people if we're not prepared for them? Right? Okay? So we want to, we, but on the other hand, we might be prepared, but we're not good at getting them in. So we need both halves of this. So here are some things, again, some preliminary things. Again, it's all in your handout, <laughs> but I'm going to go over it real quickly. Some questions to ask yourself. Who is in our community? Do you know? Do you have a really good sense? Or are you just looking around based on who's already in your church? Your church may or may not accurately reflect your community. So find out. Do some demographic study. Find out what the trends are. Of the people who are in your community, who is it you're trying to reach? You say, well, we're trying to reach everybody. Okay, well, yeah. We want, I mean, anyone could come. Whosoever will, right? No one's excluded. On the other hand, uh, trying to, we don't usually have unlimited resources. So we kind of need to know, well, who is it we're trying to go after here? Or if we're saying, we know what? We really want to be a church that reaches people who are unchurched or de-churched. Maybe they've been hurt by the church or whatever. Okay, what does that look like? And then you're going to do things a little differently than if you're, if you're going after some other group. Maybe there's uh, a big immigrant population in your area or not. I mean, see, it affects the way you do things. Some more questions you want to ask yourself. Of those people who are in your community you're trying to reach, what's important to them? Most of the time in church, we're guilty of saying, this is important because it's important to us. What's important to them? What are their needs? What are the things that they're, the questions they're asking? What do they value? And then what is our strategy as a church? How are we trying to take what resources we do have and make sure that what we're doing addresses their needs? Now, again, we're trying to balance against that consumer idea. It's not in a sense, it's a sense of where it's their needs. That's how we get their attention. But it's how do what we do as a church address their needs through the gospel? Does that make sense? And I've seen churches kind of miss that part of it in a, in a focus where marketing uh, ideas like take the throne on every decision that's made. That, you know, you want to be aware of what markets well or not, but your driving force is the gospel. How their lives going to be transformed by kind of an encounter with the gospel. Okay, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but just want to emphasize that. Okay, all right. <laughs> so first thing is, if we're going to open the door, Again, if we're going to understand this connections discipleship thing, we've got to understand where people are coming from and what's happening there. Well, the, there's five ways here we're going to see, I'm going to go over this real quickly, uh, how visitors find your church. And the first is through your church website, okay? Well, people say, well, you know what, I need to go to church, or they've got kids now, and they say, well, maybe we should start going to church, or, or whatever happens. The, one of the first things they're going to do is look at their web, the website you have. Do you have a website? Can you at least get something rudimentary out there? Basics. Um, but the thing is, the church website's not for the people who are already in the church. You can design it later to help and benefit the ones who are in the church. That'll help them get connected. That's the second level. But first, do they know like where your church is and how to get there and when you meet? Uh, okay, that's kind of the basics. But also, the next step beyond that is, 
what is your church about? What is your church? I mean, when I was a missionary and I knew I was going to go uh, in a two Sundays and go serve this church right there, first thing I'd do was see if they had a website or if they were on Facebook and find out a little bit about the church. Maybe I'd listen to a message to get a sense of feel because when I showed up as a missionary, I wasn't there just to do my thing. I was there to help the people in that church understand God's heart for people around the world, right? Is that my job? So that means I got to understand who they are and figure out who they are. Now, I was going to go there whether I liked it or not, because that's what missionaries do. <laughs> we need to raise the funds. <laughs> that's how that works. But for people who are choosing what church they're going to, if they say, like, I need to go to church, at least try to have a sample of slides or events, or if you can put anything up there, even a, if you can just do Facebook Live through someone's iPhone of your services, just so people put something up there so people get a sense. If I walked into their building, what would it look like? What would it feel like? Is it going to be scary? Is it going to be welcoming? Do I like, do I like what I'm hearing and what they say they're all about? It's, your, it's kind of your front door. Uh, so people will check you on the web way before they, they, uh, they come, usually. Another thing is community events, uh, which gives your people a way to invite people to the church. Uh, if you're serving a church or you're serving the homeless or whatever. In today's culture, if you're a born-again Christian, the bar expectation in most people's minds for you showing compassion is higher than it is for anybody else. Because they mistrust us. But if they see us caring for the community in tangible ways, they're more likely to trust us. So they actually can hear what we're saying. Does that make sense? Okay. Third thing, of course, this never changes, is word of mouth. A personal invitation is the best way. If you think about it, right? What, we'll see this in a minute. What keeps people out of church? Relationships. Well, if that's the best thing to keep them, if they start off before they even walk in the door, they've got a relationship with somebody, that's how they're going to get there, and that's why one of the biggest reasons why they're going to stay. So having ways, uh, training your, your, the people in your church or culture, how, what, what are the things we're doing this year where we're inviting people? So there's a big one coming up soon. Easter, right? Why would people want, what, the people who attend my church, what, what am I, tools am I giving them, what information that they would want to invite their coworker or their family member or their friend to come to church with them on Easter? What are we doing that day? Is there special music? Is there, uh, what's going on? Is there a special thing afterwards where you can take a, a photo dressed in your Easter best or something? You see, you, okay, I better stop that because I have lots of ideas. All right, but anyway, so the whole, that whole idea, inviting people, we'll see about that again. And again, something's going to be repetitive because opening the front door and closing the back door have some patterns to them they, that, that one thing can help both ways. So you're going to see some of these things more than once, okay? Social media, of course, is an amazing opportunity. Um, if you don't know how to do social media, find someone under the age of 20 and go to town and let them teach you how, how all the different ways you can use social media. But at the very least, please, please, please get some pictures up some statement about who you are as a church, what your mission, your vision is or your mission. And please, 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 please put something up there where people can watch or listen to who you are, a message from the pastor, at the very least, okay? That's going to be really important for people uh, to understand who you are. And then number five is location. Uh, you say, well, wait a second, maybe my church doesn't have a great location. I mentioned the church that, that I'm a part of in Dayton has an amazing location right on I-70. But getting there <laughs> is not easy. Okay, so it's a good location, but it's not. <laughs> because, you know, people are like halfway there, they're like, okay, this is not as easy as I thought. You know, maybe they're going to come or not. But the reality is, there are enough factors, including prayer and the Holy Spirit, that for churches, location isn't everything. Again, one of the biggest reasons why people are going to come, your website, that has nothing to do with your location, and people inviting them. 
That's nothing to do with your location, right? So you can transcend a less than ideal location, okay? Is that all right? But the problem is, when people arrive, regardless how good or bad your location is, are we prepared to receive visitors? Are we, is our service going to be something that's worth coming back to? These are questions we can ask ourselves. The next slide, I want to show you just some data. This is a, oh, that's bad. Oh, there it is. Good. Praise God. Okay. Um, so you see there on the right, all those five principles I just gave you are there. And you can see this study. It's a few years old now. Uh, I would say our, if we did this again, websites was only 21% a reason why people who switched, how they found out about their church. Today, it'd be much, much, much higher. But you can see there's some gathering there of events and word of mouth and location, word of mouth and relationships and things like that. All these things, I just want to show you some data. Those five principles, they work, okay? That, that's how people find out. The next question, though, and the real one we want to ask is, now that we've opened the front door, what happens when a person comes to my church? The question is, will they want to come back? Will they get connected? Is the, wide, is the back door just as wide open as the front door? Is my church sticky? These are things we want to find out. So here in this data, and again, I'm not going to go through this great detail. The basic point is this column right here, this first column with the numbers, these are the reasons why people choose a church. So these are front door reasons, right? This is how to get people in the front door. We just went over some of them. But you notice I put a box around several of them. Friendliness, someone witnessed to me, family member, relationship. There's a lot of stuff about relationships. Did you see that? So people are going to choose. Number one reason is going to be the pastor. Do they like his preaching? Number two, it varies. Again, church growth guys go back and forth on this. Uh, maybe the music, maybe the, 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 the facilities, right? Really, if they have kids, if the kids' ministry isn't good, you're sunk, yep. right? If they, got, if they have something for students, if they've got students, all right? That's, that's choosing why they come. But why do they stay? That's the last column here. Why do they stay, right? Well, friendliness and relationship is still a big piece of it. That doesn't change. Notice that the, the pastor's preaching is not as important as some of the other factors. Ouch, right? Uh, but notice here, Sunday school or other groups or ministries are the most important reasons why people stay. So again, there's some themes, but some things do change in that. All right, so the question is, are we ready for guests? Today in our culture, services are the first step. They aren't the only step. The service isn't the only thing we do. I've been part of church staffs where the pastor tells us, well, the Sunday morning service is the battleship, and everything else is a destroyer or a PT boat. Okay, there's an element of truth to that, because if the battleship's not healthy, you haven't got a healthy thing, right? Right? It's going to be strong, it's going to be good, it's going to be intentional. But it's not the only thing, okay? Uh, but some questions we need to ask ourselves about it. Is this a meaningful experience? If we say we want to reach unchurched people, through our services, would they be, like, welcoming to an unchurched person? Uh, if we want to connect with people, is our Sunday morning experience have opportunities for connection? These are some questions we need to be able to ask ourselves. Um, some observations there I gave you there. These are, from, these are not my observations. These are from Chris Songson's book, um, uh, when you're, How Your Church is Stuck. Um, and so I've got that reference in here in the material. And uh, Chris has been here in Ohio before. Some of you may have heard him speak. His book is excellent. It's very basic, but it's excellent. And what I mean by basic, like, it's the foundation. That's the place to start. If you go through and answer all the questions in Chris Songson's book, you'll be much further along than you, than you are right now. At least you'll know where you're at. But a lot of times, a lot of what we do is last minute. The real thing I want to get to is these questions Chris offers. How can we do services better? And by the way, 
If you notice, almost everything I give you has an attribution to it. It's from some article or some book. I'm not saying any of this is like, I'm trying to collect stuff for you, okay? Do the hard work for you. I'm not saying this is original to me. I'm not sure I've ever had an original thought, okay? But, but you know, this is God's kingdom. Let's learn from what we can learn, right? So can we do services better? Can we connect to both the church and the unchurched and not leave one of those groups out? Can we, how do we shape the culture in our church so people in our church begin to invest in the vision and they begin to invite people to church? Do we shape our services in a way that we say, to, oh, you are, next Sunday we're going to have this. You're not going to want to miss it. And when you say that, they're like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to miss it. Because a lot of times as pastors we say stuff and we're hoping they're true. We're not sure they are. Ryan Nelson has, has an article called I'm never coming back to this church. <laughs> All right? So here's five ways to make newcomers feel welcome. This is, you want to have a connections process in your church? You better make sure you're checking these five boxes. Number one, greet them intentionally. Greeters are not there just to shake your hand and smile. That's, I've seen too many churches where they greet. I can't tell you how many churches as a missionary I went to. The person at the front shook my hand, shook my wife, and we had two little girls, right? And they, they'd smile as we came in. They didn't pay us the least bit of attention until we were introduced as the missionary, and then afterwards they wanted to talk to us. Oh, you didn't want to talk to me before when you didn't think I was anybody. You see what I'm saying? They didn't mean that. That wasn't their heart, but that's how it kind of comes across, right? If someone's a greeter, they can't have a long conversation with everybody, but they need to be ready for a conversation, basically with the idea of, oh, hi, glad you're here. Anything I can do to help you. That's the kind of person you need as a greeter, okay? Try to learn if... Depending on the size of your church, this is more possible or less. If they can learn someone's name, if, it, if the greeter is someone who's good at learning names, like for example, I'm a very friendly guy, I think, but I'm horrible with names. I'll remember you, like I'll see you in another context, in another city, and I'll know where I saw you before, right? But I won't remember your name. I'm really bad. So you don't want me as a greeter, unless you're desperate, okay? Another part of greeting is, is a church greeter, is it welcoming? And, and one of the biggest pieces about uh, this is signage. I can't tell you how many churches, large, medium, and small, urban, rural, suburban, I've walked into. I had no idea where the bathrooms were. I had no idea where anything was. There were no signs because everyone there knew where everything was. If you really want me to come to your church and you want me to come back, like, pretend that you've thought of me before I got there. Okay? And the picture there, that's Cincinnati Airport right there. Do you notice they have signs at the airport? You ever been to a strange airport? Aren't you glad there are signs in an airport? Are there signs in your church? I don't care if you make them on the copier. And they're not very good signs. I mean, I do care. Better is better. But you see what I'm saying? Have signage. That's really important. You can't make signage too obvious. All right? And most pastors, I've found, in my experience, don't believe that. This is one of the reasons why I try to help them. There aren't enough signs in this church. I don't care what church it is. There aren't enough. All right. To make people feel welcome, again, we've talked about this, but again, plan your service with visitors in mind. Explain what you're doing. Explain why we raise our hands. Explain why that message in tongues and interpretation especially mentioned that. What is that all about? Explain, explain, explain. Okay? Give examples of how your church is impacting your community. That's not bragging. You're trying to remind the people who already attend your church and the guest why your church is a value to your community. It is, isn't it? Your church is a value to your community. All right. And if you're not sure, <laughs> okay, figure it out. All right. Uh, also, here's the thing. 
Assume nothing and explain everything. That's just a little statement you can do yourselves. Uh, if someone's new, it, you want them to be able to, don't assume that they know what you're talking about. And the other piece of this, though, is if you have guests, it's not friendly to say hi and not say, oh, hey, and if you'd like to know your next step here at our church, we have this, or you can go here and talk to this person, or here's a, a class that we're having. Always know what the next step is. If you're giving announcements or you're preaching, or whatever, especially if you're preaching, okay. but if you're doing anything, what is the next step for that service? We want people to do this. What is it we want people to do? All right. Make sure you know what they want you to do. If relationships are the best way for people to get, come in your church and stay involved, how are people going to build relationships in your church? You need to ask yourself those questions. You want to develop a culture of evangelistic invitation. Every Christian is called to lead people to Christ, right? We may not necessarily, we might plant the seed, we might water it, we might do some weeding, or we might reap the harvest, right? But we're all involved in the process. So that means, regardless of what your spiritual gift is, if you're a Christian and you're breathing, then you have a role and a responsibility in your church to make sure that your church is welcoming to, to guests. You've thought about them, you can make them feel friendly when they get there, because they're never going to become a disciple if they don't actually come to church, Right? So we want an environment where everyone feels welcome. One of the ways we can do that, and I know this could be a little controversial for some people, I don't think it's controversial, is you want the person to feel valued. The gift does not have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be actually monetarily worth anything. It's just a way of, we want something that says, hey, we're glad that you're here, and because we're glad, we want to give you this. It's also a great way, when you're welcoming guests to your service, to say, hey, we'd love to have a conversation, answer any questions you might have after service. We've got a small gift for you. Make sure it's not like cheesy, but you know it could be something, whatever it is, something that says we're glad that you're here. You don't need to go overboard. Doesn't need to be a lot of money. People don't need to think you're buying any, buying them or something like that. It's just a way of saying, hey, we're glad that you're here. That's much uh, a much more important thing. And but here's the thing not to do: don't do the stand and greet each other thing. And if you're a visitor, will you raise your hand? Oh, now everyone, go greet every, go greet them. People do not want to be like pointed out like that anymore if they ever did. What, what I would suggest instead is find your extroverts, right, the ones who like, and then help them to notice people. And then if there's someone that's new, make sure that the new person's gonna meet your extrovert. And that your extrovert knows what to say, and the extrovert knows what the next step for that visitor is. Okay? All right. So find a place in your church where people is likely to encounter someone, whether it's at a children's ministry check-in, if you have a visitor booth, if you have coffee. Coffee is wonderful, God-given thing, right? Coffee is amazing because that's a great non-confrontational way to start co little conversations with people and find out where they're at. Oh, have you been here before or whatever? Oh, is there anything I can do to help you with? Do you need, do you need to know anything? It's a great thing. So again, open the front door. People who switch churches, why do they switch churches? Top four reasons. Number one, the church was welcoming in their approach to them. They thought of them before they got there. Someone greeted them personally, not at a meet and greet time in the middle of the service. <laughs> but before or after, or they were greeted by a pastor or staff member, or they completed an information card, which means that there was a way the church had to get their information from them, which is really hard to do. But if you do, make sure you do it well, but then you do something with it that's going to help them. And there's some more about that a little later. How am I doing on time here? Oh, praise God. Okay. All right, I'm going to go faster. <laughs> well, the takeaways here is three things. Number one, is your church welcoming are your people actually friendly to people who aren't 
in the church already. Number two, what about relationships? People choose the church because of the pastor and the preaching, but why are they sticking around? Because we've been sticky and built relationships and people get to know new people. And thirdly, inviting. Most people check out a church because someone invited them. Are there barriers, though, to inviting people? Are there reasons why someone who, who loves your church, and this, it's their church, but they'd feel a little crunchy about asking the person at work to come to your church because the bathrooms aren't clean or because... See, if you, can, if you can get the people in your church to tell you the becauses, you can remove a lot of barriers, and then people will feel good about inviting people, okay? Um, this slide right here, I just love. Uh, how many have ever been to a Starbucks or a Panera, right? Okay. Those two, how have they done so well? The coffee isn't so great, and the food is overpriced at the other one, okay, right? So why are those places, like, proliferated everywhere? Because they're amazing at cult being places where people meet. Every time I've ever been to a Starbucks or Panera, almost every single time I can think of, someone's meeting someone else there, right? Well, why wouldn't that be happening at our church? What are they doing right? Let's become students of that so we can create community. Do we have a physical place, even if it's just like a high-top table where people can put their coffee cup? If that's all I've got for space in my church, make it as nice as you can. Think about that, though. When you go to church on Sunday, right, tomorrow, where's that place in your church, and is it really welcoming? Think about it. All right, so some things we want to do. I want to give you some tools here. What is the size of your front door of your church? Can you answer that question? Could someone at your church answer that question? How many first-time guests do you have? So, again, this is, this, some of the statistics is a little older. I think this is probably harder than it's ever been. They say that a church of 200 needs at least 200 first-time guests in a year. Well, that's four a week. I think that's true, but I think the number of people... You know, church attendance is less frequent. It's harder to get people to come to church. You know, but don't use that as an excuse. Just recognize if the church numerically is going to grow, that's probably how many people you need to have coming in. Then the next question is, how sticky are you? We'll get to that later. So the next goal then is, once you know the number, right? Now again, that, not everyone's going to tell you they're there. <laughs> so the number you get may be lower than the actual. You know, at our church, you know, we might have, Five or ten people tell us they were there, but there were probably a lot more than guests than there than that. Set a target, though, of how many first-time guests that you want to have, and then see what you can do to increase that number. So your strategy here, everything's determined on this. You want to know, if you have a first-time visitor, will they come back for a second? Okay. So 10% of first-time visitors come back for a second visit. 20% of second-time visitors come for a third. 30% of a third-time visitors come a regular tender. And the last one is wrong in your notes, so correct it. 50% of people who come for a fourth visit become part of your church. So how are you going to get them there four times? If they don't like the first time or the second time, if by the fourth time they haven't made a relationship, by the way, they're not coming back. Right? Okay. So how are you going to do that? So what we want to do is close the back door. What are our intentional strategies to connect people? Um, one of my favorite uh, writers is Kerry Newhoff. Uh, if you don't uh, subscribe to his blog, I'd suggest you do that. Uh, not everything he says is correct, uh, you know, is, is great for you, but there's a lot of good stuff there. One of the things he says, though, is that engagement is the new church attendance. I think this has always been true. So if, you believe that, if you've always believed this, you've always been right. God bless you. But not everyone has, okay? Because the idea is we try to get people in the door, open the front door. But reality is, if we're just getting crowds in the front door, it's going to be hard to get a crowd to be sticky and get them to stay. The idea is not just to get them in the front door. You know, a lot of churches used to be really huge on concerts or something like that. 
That can work and that can be helpful, but the reality is you want to get them in the front door with an intention. Because really, think about it, uh, engagement is more important than attendance. Attendance never really was the goal. You could have a church with a big attendance and it's not really making disciples, right? Jesus didn't say attend a meeting. He said, follow me, right? So attendance, though, if you want attendance, attendance comes out of engagement. If people find what you're doing valuable, they're going to keep coming back. If they're engaged and involved, they'll come back. If they're not engaged and not involved, they're not going to attend. So we don't really want attendance anyways. We want engagement. So to do that, we think about it. Uh, and three and four, you can read this. We want to uh, attract people. People, uh, we, many churches have so got into what the look is of the service and the look of the church, we just keep being the consumerism monster in our culture. And the people, people want something that's an alternative to consuming. What is meaningful? The church is meaningful. The gospel is meaningful. Eternity is meaningful. We have more meaningful things in the church's little finger in its connection with Jesus Christ than any other organization on the face of the planet. Why are we trying to do a show? Let's do something that's well done so we show quality that what we're doing is important, but it's not about a show. All right? So people want it. But think about this. People become most passionate about the things they're involved in. I already mentioned that. If you want people to get engaged, it comes about from involvement. Because if they're involved, that brings passion. And passion means they'll invite someone to do it with you, right? That's why your friend wants you to try that recipe they tried. They loved it. They want you to try it because they're passionate about it, right? Does this make sense at all? all right. I've moved in, I've, uh, as I've gone to different churches around the country, I found people who were more passionate about the local football team than they were about their church. So, I mean, don't take this wrong. I'm, I'm going to say this to try to mildly offend you. I don't care about Ohio State. I am not in Ohio for Ohio State. I grew up in Massachusetts. There's no college football there worth speaking of. Right? Okay? The thing of it is, I'm here for Jesus Christ, to represent Jesus Christ and get people to come to know him. All right? Nothing against Ohio State. I'm just trying to get your attention. Okay. So think about this. Tom Rainer helps us out. He talks about membership here. But these four principles work for engagement. How do you increase engagement in your church? Number one, you have to have churches that are good at connecting people have high expectations. If you say, well, I can't ask people to do anything because you know, that'll scare them away or they won't do anything. If we don't challenge people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes where people spend eternity, then we've forgotten why we're here. Oh, wow, that's a good soapbox right there. All right. Churches that are effective, the most effective churches in connecting people, the most sticky churches in the world, right, they have high levels of expectation. Giving is usually not considered optional in those kind of churches. Being involved is not optional. Inviting is not optional. Okay? Another thing that's not optional is ministry involvement. If, you don't, if people don't get involved in ministry within the first couple of months of them starting a 10-year church, the chances of losing them is really high. If they get involved in serving in some way, your chances are much better. Another part of engagement, of course, and I, you know, for the 19th time, it's about relationships. <laughs> if people have a relationship with somebody else in the church, right, especially if it's before they're a member, that's really important. Uh, developing relationships as soon as possible is the most important thing, which again is why if people come to church because someone in the church invited them and they have a pre-existing relationship before they walked in the door of the church, the chance of keeping them is much higher. That's what all the research shows. So getting, getting a bunch of people you don't know to come in the door, that's, that's good. We want that. But better is getting the people who are in the church to get people they know to come into the church with them 
is the single most effective thing. And then once they get there, small group involvement. Uh, people talk about Sunday school. Maybe you don't have Sunday school anymore. I still believe in Sunday classes if you have facilities for it, it's possible, because it's the single easiest way to get people connected. There's a class on campus, it's there, there's childcare, right? And then they can come and meet some people as long as the class is open to new people. That's the key. Sunday school classes that are not open to new people, intentionally open, not just kind of like, oh yeah, we're friendly to each other. No, they're friendly to new people. If you can build that kind of a context in your class, and if the class you have that's taking up the only room you have isn't like that, then close the class down or send them to be a home group and get a class in there that's going to welcome new people in because that's going to be like the first stop for a lot of people. They'll try the church, meet some people, and they'll like it. And maybe they don't come back forever, but they'll go on to a home group or something else. Does that make sense? Okay? If you can do it, I encourage that. North Point, Andy Stanley's church, says this. This is what engagement is. Is someone inviting other people? And again, I'm giving you on the right side here, Rainer, the article we just looked at, these are his things. So they all line up exactly. They're all saying the same thing. Are they inviting other people? Are they serving? Are they in a group? Or are they giving? That's how North Point measures engagement. So the question isn't just what's your weekly attendance at your church. What's the level of engagement of each individual in your church? All right, now the next slide's right here. How am I doing here on time? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, um, we're going to skip through those things. I knew that was going to happen. This is from the book Fusion, um, right here by Nelson Searcy. Excellent book. It may not be exactly for you, but you can learn from his book. I give you the most important principles right there. If someone comes, you better respond. If you can get any information from them at all, whether it's email or text, right, or phone call, please, please, please follow up within 24 hours, 36 the most. All right? But you want to be able to connect. If you have a connection card that you have people fill out, you know, if they're a guest, if you have everyone sign attendance in your church or everyone fill out a connection, a connection card every week, then that's the best. And he talks about that whole system there. Um, how to bring people back. Follow up in a timely manner. Set reasonable expectations. Provide a clear next step. 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 And make it personal. This person who came in is a person. They had, they had parents who loved them, hopefully, or not. But you know what I'm saying? They're a person just like you or me. You just don't know them. Treat them like they're someone worth knowing. And then maybe they'll find you someone worth knowing. Okay? So some things to measure your back door. Number one, what is the frequency of attendance of people in your church? And if you don't take any form of attendance, one thing you can do is to uh, a couple times a year, three or four times a year, for three weeks in a row, ask everyone to sign up a form that you pass down the, the rows. You say, hey, we want to know who's here. We want to be able to minister to you. If you have any address changes or email changes, please fill out that as well. Uh, but then if you can do that just even three or four times a year, you'll have three or four snapshots of who's actually at your church, and you'll know even how many times they came in those three weeks. And that's a way at least of building some kind of picture of who's here and who's missing, okay? And how often do they come? Because that's the second piece. Uh, one thing you know, one of the worst things a church has is they don't know that you're attending their church. They don't know your name. There's some people who are really good at this, by the way. Your job is to get their name and so they become known. You don't want to have any unidentified regular tenders. If they're a regular tender and they're not known, then they're missing out on what the body of Christ is all about. Help them. And then the third thing is, this is about retention. What's the ratio? If I know how many guests I have now, how many people have disappeared? Do I even know? How long does it take me to know 
I mean, the people who are involved, sure, but the people who are more on the fringes, how long does it take before I realize they're no longer here at church? If you, we got to think about, for your context, how can you find out? Again, the three times a year, that's a minimum if you could do something like that. Uh, here's some great measurements from Chris Songson's book, His Church, South Hills. Some measurements you can do to see, again, now this isn't just about the size of your back door. This is now getting to the idea of depth. How do we know people are progressing? They're getting baptized. They're giving. They're part of a growth group. They're engaged in serving, okay? All of these things right here on this slide right here, these are measurements you could try to begin to try to do in your church and figure out where are we at? How much, what kind of depth are people getting? How long does it take for someone to get involved to that level? The point of this slide is if you have a church of 250 with a bad retention rate, to get to double the size, you need eight, over 800 attenders in, in, over the time period of 10 years to grow. But if you're a sticky church and you're really good at connecting people, you don't need as many visitors. If you say, well, Stuart, we'll never get that many visitors to our church. Okay, then become more sticky. Well, regardless of who you are, get more sticky. Because <laughs> each person matters to Jesus. They should matter to us, right? Um, so we want a connections discipleship strategy. Imagine that we have a strategy that takes people from walking in the front door the first time to a fully devoted follower of Christ who's inviting other people, totally involved in discipleship. What is, what is my church's journey for that? Chris talks about in his book, this is all from his book, uh, rather than talking about programs, what's your process? I don't care how big or small your church is, you can have a process. It may be two steps, but have a next step, okay? All right? So have a process. The way he does at his church, and I think most churches can reproduce this, what's your shallow step? What's your first step for a person? And then what's the next step, the middle step? And then what's a deeper step towards discipleship? For them, they would say shallow is weekend services. They have a class where you kind of learn about the church. They call it discover. Do you have something where people can learn more about the church? Maybe they meet with a pastor or someone else in the church one-on-one. That could work just as well if you don't have a class. Then what's your middle? They begin to serve. They begin to get involved in growing and get relationships and start spiritual growth in that way. And then what's deeper? How do we define spiritual growth? Again, in churches, it's easier for me to count the number of people who are involved in a growth opportunity. It's much harder for me to see how deep are they going in that growth opportunity. I mean, all of us know somebody who's been in the church for years, and they haven't grown one bit. They're the same person, and often they introduce yourself with themselves with this kind of idea. Well, this is who I am. You got to accept me for who I am. Okay, the first couple years, okay. You've been there 30 years, no. How much my Jesus do you look? That can be measured. Okay? Does this make any sense? And then the whole point is, how are you going to develop leaders in your church? Again, if it's a smaller church, you're in a much better shape on this because you can even do one-on-one -on -one leadership development and coaching with people. Right? Okay, but do something. For our church, we, we're a big church, we have a funnel. For you, for your church, what's your funnel? They come into the weekend services, what do they do next? We're a big church, we've got men's ministry and women's ministry, and I've got a class called Discover Christian Life Center, Discover CLC, all right? I can have a class. I have things, what do you have? Fill this out for yourself, what's your funnel? What's the next step? What's the growth thing they can do? Where can they start serving? What's an easy serve that they can serve? And, and maybe you have people who are not even sure they're believers yet. Is there something they could do, maybe in the parking lot, right, <laughs> or something that's safe, that they could do to start getting involved and start building relationships, right? But then eventually we want them to be a fully engaged disciple where they're, they're leading other people and they're inviting people and they're giving. Because if, how do we know that you love Jesus? 
because it's his money, not yours. Isn't that one of the deep steps of maturity, right? Not that it's about the money, it's about the heart. How much of, how much of me does Jesus have? It's a question that I ask every day. Okay, all right. Uh, for us, here's what we decide to do. I've done this, this I triangle, this idea of connection. Uh, I ask the three questions. How do I know the person's connected? I ask, do you feel like you're getting connected with other people in our church? If they say no, I send them to my next step. My, I ask, oh, have you found a place to serve that you enjoy? If they say, well, I'm doing this, but I'm not really enjoying it, let's find something else for you to do. Or if the answer is no, how do I get involved in serving at my church? Third question, have you found a place to grow with others in relationship with others? If the answer is no, okay, where's a small group? Where's a class? How am I going to do Does that? Does this make sense? This is not rocket science, but if I don't have a clear process that I know and every other person who calls this church home knows, then guess what? Guests aren't going to know it. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. I'm going to steal a couple more minutes, okay, right? So here, these slides right here, I'm just going to go through. This is ro rolling out what I just showed you in the triangle. Do you feel like you're getting connected? What do you do? Do you feel find a place to serve? Have you found a place to grow? Okay. Now, Tom Rayner has this uh, article on membership. Uh, if your church has membership or not, this is an interesting article to read. Uh, I suggest membership still. You might call it partnership. You can call it whatever you want. Most churches don't like the idea of membership. But the idea is, if you ever, ever ask people to cross a line and then clearly define what the expectations are of what that means, then you're not a high-expectation church. And we already talked about it. We want to be expect, expected, expectation, right? Not just attending, okay? Uh, we want to do that well. So here's some great ideas there. Uh, I gave you some examples of something called growth track. A lot of churches do this. Remember the old baseball path Salback did, Rick Warren, Okay. They'll have maybe four classes, and they'll walk through different things. In your church, it might be one class, and maybe just meet with one person one-on-one. -on -one. That's amazing, you know, whether it's the pastor or somebody else. Hey, here's what our church is about. Here's our vision. Here's what we think is important. Uh, here are the ministries we have in our church. Here's how we've organized ourselves as a church body to serve you and your family. We'd love to, you to become part of our church family uh, and, and answer any questions they might have. It can be one-on-one, -on -one, it can be a class, it can be four classes. There's lots of great models out there, depending on the size of your church, find one. Um, this is from Cedar Creek Church in Perrysburg, and I, I didn't put that in your notes because I ran out of room, but that's a, that they have a great growth track model, uh, Cedar Creek Church in Perrysburg, um, independent church there. And then the last thing I want to talk about before I take questions is about small groups, okay? Because this is an area where there's a lot of discussion and confusion in churches today about small groups. Are you a church that has small groups? You're a church with small groups? Some churches, a lot of the growing churches today are churches of small groups. They have a weekend service, and they have small groups, and that's basically all they have. They might do some outreaches and things like that. But everything else, pastoral care, connection, spiritual growth, all happens through the small group. If you're not already a church of small groups, I wouldn't suggest just deciding that you're going to do that. Okay. And, and by and large, this is a generalization, so it's sometimes wrong. Most Assembly of God churches really struggle with small groups. That's been my observation over 27 years of doing this all over the Assemblies of God, okay? But having small groups is really not optional. Because there are some people, they need to get, the way they're going to connect is to get in someone else's home and connect with two or three other families or couples or individuals and they study something together in God's word, and, and if they don't get in someone else's home, they're not going to feel like they're connected. 
There's other people who don't want to go to anyone else's home. But if they got together at Starbucks or Panera, or maybe you've got a corner of your church where they get together, you know, before or after service, or you've got a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night thing. People ask me about Wednesday night. It's a dying idea to many people. For some people, it's not optional. They got kids and sports and all that kind of thing. But for some people, though, Wednesday night is an amazing way in the middle of the week to come in and get reminded about, oh, I really love God, even though my week really stinks. <laughs> you know, and there's other people that I know, and, and, and Bob knows my name, and I know Bob's name. And go, oh, Bob, how's that going for you? And we, does that make sense? Okay, so don't say no to models just because they seem old. If they have function in your church context, take advantage of them. But ask yourself the question, what kind of models do we have? You could have free market groups, and I give you a whole slide about what those are. They're around interests, ideas. These four guys go off and ride motorcycles, but before or after they pray for each other and share with each other and, and read it and go over some questions maybe from the sermon or for a devotional or something like that. These people over here love to be at the restaurant before they go to work, and they do a little devotional and eat something and go to work. I don't care what it is. That's free market. And there are strengths and weaknesses to that. Sermon-based groups. Um, the pastor or anyone else... Once the message is done, <laughs> the pastors all kind of laugh uh, when it's really ready. Um, what are two or three takeaway questions that would help people go deeper into that? And, and, and some of the largest churches in America only do sermon-based groups. They have uh, North Coast Church in, in California has like 70% or 80% of the people in their church are in a group. And they're all studying the pastor's sermon from the week before. It's an interesting idea. Um, all church groups, if you're not good on small groups, then maybe once a year, you have a sermon series, the pastor's got to preach on something, and then all the small groups and classes you have are all going to study the same thing. Maybe there's a curriculum or, you know, that you could use. There's lots of great curriculum out there. Does that make sense? Then everyone's doing the same thing, and maybe some of those temporary small groups you start to get everybody in a group because you don't have enough groups already, some of those will become permanent groups. That's the single best way I've found in AG churches to start more small groups is do this at least once a year. Uh, you can have Bible study groups. People love some people love Bible studies. They want to go deeper. You can have on-campus groups if you get space for that. Classes or groups. Um, those can be great places. Recovery groups, things like that. And also, one of the big trends is semester-based groups, where instead of saying join a small group, you see these people you don't know yet. You guys are going to be in a small group together forever, <laughs> right? People don't want to do that. You say though, listen, our groups here at our church are based on semesters, so they're going to meet from six to ten weeks each. Right? And so uh, they're going to study this book or study this thing or study the sermon or whatever. And then when the six or ten weeks are over, the group's done. And then if you didn't like the group, you kind of persevered through it. You're like, oh, great. Well, oh, yeah, we're going to go a different direction next semester. Thanks, guys. It was great. No one's feelings are really hurt. If someone's life changed, the person hosting can't do it anymore. It's okay. But by and large, if you do this, the majority of your groups will continue and continue and continue. Does that make sense? So again, Sometimes we want the end. We want these people to be involved in a relationship forever. Yes, but don't start off with that thought because that's going to scare people. They want to try something that's going to be okay. It's short-term. It's temporary. It's, uh, it's going to be safe because if it's not bad, it's only temporary. <laughs> All right, so a couple different ways of doing that. Um, again, free market groups. I gave you some slides there. Semester-based, again, characteristics there. Those are some ideas that you can look into. And then... The last thing I'm going to say here, two slides, and then I'm going to take questions for the last three minutes. I'm so sorry. Um, is, what is discipleship? Okay, I wanted to do a whole, I almost wrote a whole thing on this, but I restrained myself. Uh, this is what I'm doing my, my uh, I'm doing a doctor of ministry class with the Assemblies of God Seminary on this. 
Um, but basically, as a discipleship pastor, people ask me, well, Stuart, what is discipleship? Can you really define it? <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Discipleship is hard because of this reason. We look at things that people do and say those things are discipleship. Okay, right? But really what we want is we want, discipleship is attributes. It's what you look like. It's not what you do. Okay? But the thing is, uh, and this is a study based on a book called No Silver Bullets, okay, based on the largest study of Christians in America ever, done by the Southern Baptist Convention through LifeWay Research. And through that research, scientifically, they had analyzed the whole thing and found out that these are eight, I mean, you could put whatever word names you want on it, but essentially, these are the eight attributes of a disciple. Is a disciple engaged in the Bible? If you're not engaged in the Bible, guess what? You're not going to be much of a disciple. <laughs> if, are you obeying God? Are you denying yourself? Are you serving God and serving others? Some people are good at serving others, not so good at serving God. If you're not doing both of those things, you're not where you need to be as a disciple. Sharing Christ. If you're, not, if you're unwilling to at least invite people, let people know you're a Christian invite, then you're not very far in your discipleship. Does that make sense? Exercising faith. You have an impossible situation in your life and you give up. You're not very far in your discipleship and looking like Christ. Does this, does, does this list make sense to you? Okay? Seeking God, building relationships, being unashamed, all right? Being a transparent person. If, some, if I talk to someone and if I sit down for them for lunch or coffee and by the end of the conversation, I don't know them any better than I did before, I don't care how long they've been in the church and if they're an elder of the church, they're not grown in this area of transparency. Okay, if you're closed off, then you're not sharing in the body of Christ. Does this, does this make sense? So these attributes, this is what we're really shooting for. Everything we did from the first slide of getting people in the front door, the goal is to get them to these eight things, all right? So you ask, well, Stuart, how do I get there? Okay, it's really complicated. <laughs> but to make it as simple as possible, can you ask them? Now, these are the things you can ask them to do, and if they, the more they do them, the more the study shows, scientifically, the more they'll have those eight things in their life. So how often are they reading the Bible? And not just reading it devotionally and reading a verse, but like studying, I should really say. Engaging in the Bible is better to say that. Number two, people say, I'm a strong believer and I love God. He's got all my heart, but I refuse to go to church. I'm not buying it. Okay, because you're not serving, you're not involved in the body of Christ. So are you engaged in the Bible? Are you attending service? And are you involved relationally in a small group where you're studying God's word? A class, a group, whatever. Okay, 